This episode of Beyond Your Why podcast is brought to you by Dentistry Roadmap. After working for the past 30 years developing and growing my practice, I've learned that a great practice starts with a great message. I've narrowed down the essentials to developing your practice message into a six-part online study club where I show you how to do this for your practice. So make sure to head over to DentistryRoadmap.com to learn how you can take your dental practice to the next level. So today we're going to be talking about the why simplify. Now, if you remember, people whose why is to simplify, they're really good at taking complex and challenging things and breaking them down to the essence of what they are so that other people can use them. They take complex and make it simple, and then other people are able to use that information to build their practice, build their business, because they're able to uncomplicate things. So today I've got a great guest for you. His name is Dr. Howard Ferran, and he is somebody that I've known of for many years. We've never met, so this is going to be a great interview for me. He is a noted international lecturer on faster, easier, more efficient dentistry. And he's captivated audiences around the world with his innovative, informational, and entertaining style. In his seminar entitled The Virtues of Profitable Dentistry, he gets down to the nitty-gritty details of running a thriving family practice. He can show any dental team how they, too, can achieve their dreams and goals. Dr. Ferran graduated from UMKC Dental School in 1987, one year before I graduated. He earned his MBA from the Arizona State University in 1999. He received his MAGD in 1998. He received his diplomat in the International College of Oral Implantology in 1998. So Dr. Ferran has received wide recognition, such as being named Alumni of the Year for UMKC in 1997, Arizona Public Health Dentist of the Year in 1995 by the Arizona Office of Dental Health, and the Arizona Award in 1989 from the Arizona State Dental Association for outstanding contributions made to the profession of dentistry in the efforts of fluoridated water for Phoenix. So Dr. Ferran is the founder and publisher of Dental Town Magazine, which most of you know about, which is mailed to more than 120,000 dentists in 43 countries each month. Dr. Ferran is also founder of HygieneTown.com, OrthoTown.com, and the flagship site DentalTown.com, where more than 140,000 registered dental professionals share information with each other on a daily basis. Dr. Ferran is the author of several dental practice management articles and multiple video series. His experience ranges from all aspects of practice management, including business planning, operations and finance to finance to e-commerce business and internet marketing. Dr. Ferran, welcome to Beyond Your Why podcast. Oh, it's an honor to have me on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And a big shout out. You said I graduated UMKC class of 1987. I got two of my best dental school buddies out there, Craig Steikens in Albuquerque, Chris Spears in, um, um, what's the city north? Santa Fe. Uh, Santa Fe. My God, I, uh, I love going out there visiting those guys. The Mexican food in New Mexico is far better. In, in Texas, they call it Tex-Mex. That's kind of like an American version. Arizona's like halfway between Tex-Mex and Santa Fe, but my God, Albuquerque has the best Mexican food in all of America. I'm 100% with you. I am addicted to it. So, Howard, I, I have uh, Mexican food, I would bet, 85% of the time. I just – it's an addiction. Yeah, and when you go to um, – um, gosh, what are those big places? Um, what, what's the big place? El Pinto. Uh, El Pinto? No, down in Mexico. Puerto Lavarta. Oh, yeah. Um, at, what's the one that starts with A? Um, Acapulco. Acapulco. The reason I say it's the best Mexican food is in Albuquerque. Because by the time you get all the way to Puerto Lavarta – Everything you eat at a Mexican restaurant, they don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I'll never forget the first time I went there, I ordered, I named everything they said I, that I, I'm addicted to, and they, they didn't even know what I was talking about. Yeah, exactly. And so I said, well, bring me what most people eat here. And they brought me this plate of stuff, and it's like, okay, this is <laughs> not, not what I thought people in Mexico ate. But anyway, uh, love your state. Thank you very much. Well, listen, Howard, can you, let's, let's, uh, 
a lot of people know you, a lot of people know of you, but I'd love for you to tell everybody a little bit about your story and how you went from, you know, graduating from dental school to where you are now. I mean, it's, it's significantly different, the path that you took than what most people take. You know, it's a, uh, you're right. Your, your, your journey ends up, you know, where did you start? All these things happen for reasons. Um, so I grew up, I was born in 1962, Wichita, Kansas. I had five sisters, a brother. My mom and dad were Catholic. They had seven kids in three days. My dad was so poor. Mom stayed home. Um, dad delivered rainbow bread. I think he made like $11,000 a year. And after World War II, they started building all these interstates. So before World War II, most Americans were born, raised, reared, and died and never went 100 miles away from home. So the interstate infrastructure from the government opened up this new thing called franchises because for the first time ever, people would leave their city, get on an interstate, and drive all the way to Disneyland in California. Well, when they got to the next town and they, they pulled off, they wanted to see something familiar. So there went all the big chains, all the McDonald's, the 7-Elevens, the Circle Ks, the, the Dairy Queens. And <clears throat> my dad saved up his money for 10 years, and he bought into a Sonic drive-in franchise. And the, and the first year he opened that when I was 10, he went from making $11,000 a year to $60,000 a year. And we moved out of the inner city of Wichita, which is very poor, to a suburb. And it just blew, it blew my mind. And after he got about four or five Sonics, um, then he moved to the richest area of town, Hidden Lakes Estates. And my next door neighbor was Kenny Anderson, the dentist. And so I would go to work with my dad, who was my idol, and I loved my dad, and, and, but he made cheeseburgers and french fries and onion rings. Then I'd go to work with Kenny, and he'd take x-rays that looked through teeth and did root canals and crowns. And I told my dad in the seventh grade, I, I'm going to go to dental school. And um, he thought it was crazy. He was begging me to drop out of high school because his other franchisees' friends, uh, their, their sons were dropping out of high school. And he said, Howard, eight years of college? But in eight years, you could have five, six Sonic drive-ins and be a millionaire. And I'd say, yeah, I know, but I, I don't want to spend my life making cheeseburgers. I mean, fixing teeth, th this is really cool. And so I did that. What I didn't know is when you buy a franchise like Sonic, you have a parent organization, uh, the franchise headquarters, and they taught you demographics, picking a location, marketing. My dad's cash register was from, remember NCR, National Cash Register? Yeah. That cash register, when I was 10, had more business data than anybody today using Dentrix or EagleSoft or, you know, they, they're, they're, their practice management system has all their patient information, billing, and address, and then they have all their accounting payables and receivables in Quicken, and they, they don't even talk to each other, so they don't know any of their overhead. So when I got out of dental school, I was really opening up my dad's 10th Sonic drive-in. I got demographics. I got location. I had marketing. So I opened up my practice and had a million-dollar practice straight out of the gate when I barely knew how to do dentistry. And it only took me about two years to realize that it was two years after I graduated, I went back to UMKC, the alumni meeting, to hook up with Craig Steichen and Chris Spear and all my buddies from dental school. And I was realizing their journey was so different. And I realized, oh, my God, well, if your dad worked on an assembly line and your mom stayed home, made cookies, where did you learn free enterprise? They sure as hell didn't teach you anything in dental school, medical school, law school. And so, so finally, I realized in 1990, uh, I was going to write a book, The Business of Dentistry, and I did. And it was a huge success because back in the 1990, it was actually taboo. You don't talk about a doctor and money. No one wants to be sold chemotherapy or root canal. I mean, it, it was like, it, it's, it's like people don't ever report on the news that the third largest killer in America, number one is heart disease. Number two is cancer. Number three is the, the health care system of, of, um, of going in there and dying from nothing to do with your disease. And people don't want to talk about that because hospitals are named after saints and, you know, St. Francis and St. Mary's. And I was born in St. Francis Catholic church. I mean, who wants to talk about that? All these holy Catholic hospitals are completely incompetent and, and is the third largest killer in America is going to the damn hospital. I mean, I mean, look at examples I see, like I have a patient uh, whose mom got a hip trans, uh, a hip implants. 
So she went to visit her with her two-year-old daughter. Well, she put her two-year-old daughter down, and her daughter got crawled around on the floor and now has MRSA all over her body. Um, I mean, why would you take, uh, why would someone healthy, I mean, Phoenix, Albuquerque is a million people. The sickest of the sickest of the dying are put in this box. And they let anybody go in there and visit and bring flowers and, and, and pat them on the head. Why all these microorganisms and viruses and, and, and it's just, it just crazy insane. So what I wanted to do is I was trying to get my dental office to be as sophisticated as my dad, Sonic Drive-In Franchisee. And my God, it was almost impossible to do it. I mean, here I've been out. My dental office just celebrated its 30-year anniversary last September, uh, uh, September 21st, 19, uh, or 2017, 30 years. And I still, I just switched from, I've been on soft debt for 30 years. I switched to open dental, even though it's not attached to an accounting. I can't even get anyone from Dentrix or EagleSoft to even come on the show or talk about the necessity. I, I mean, you know, you go up to the, the Dentrix user convention and they're sitting there talking about, well, first of all, he opens up a seminar. Well, first of all, when he invited me, I realized instantly he must not even know who I am because I, I can't think of a more, I, I think the two worst things that ever happened to dentistry were Dentrix and EagleSoft. And, um, you know, this guy, invites, and he starts out his presentation, well, you know, 85% of all the software is never even used. And it's like, okay. And then he starts talking about all these features that are crazy. I said, well, first of all, the 85% of the features you don't use, when you check into the Marriott, they only ask you nine things, the only nine things they need. And you, and you have to ask question one before you can go to two to three. It's all processes. And when I check out, it's all processes. When you have 85% of the software that's never even used, it's so confusing. The girl or the, the person at your receptionist is overwhelmed. And I said, you know, first of all, you should be able to X all this shit out so you can clean it up and make a process. This is what we do when someone calls the office and wants to schedule an appointment. This is what we do when we check them out. And it's not that Open Dental does any of those things. It's just that the CEO was started by a company, Jordan Sparks, and his son, Nathan, runs the company, Nathan Sparks. Nathan's, at least he's like, okay, I, I hear your pain. I'll come on your show. We'll establish a relationship. We will try to, over the next several years, work on your to-do list. And uh, so these dentists, um, they just don't know what they're doing. So then I started lecturing about it in 94, August 11, 94, Sheridan Manhattan first lecture. I started lecturing about it, but then I realized I'm not going to see these dentists for a year or two or three or four. So then by 94, I said, you know what? I'm going to have a monthly newsletter called the Ferran Report because when I'm out there lecturing and I'm meeting movers and shakers like you, um, they're telling me these ideas and I start saying, write it down because I have a newsletter. The dentists all told me they hated advertisement. So it was $10 an issue, $120 a year. I built that up to like 4,000 subscribers. And then one day in 98, <clears throat> I was on an ESPN website and I saw these message boards where people were talking about football and soccer and basketball. I thought, oh, my God. It's no longer the Fran Report, me sending you tips. So I changed the name from the Fran Report to Dentaltown, flattened the org chart to an interactive media deal, and started Dentaltown. And 1,000 dentists joined the first month. And it's been 1,000 every month since then. We started six years before Facebook. And when Facebook came out, they said, oh, well, that'll be the end of Dentaltown. I said, no, that you don't even get it. Social media started as an endless news feed. It was dentists at CompuServe, dentists at Yahoo. And you'd open up your email and there'd be a million emails, all unorganized, crazy chaos. And the early social media people, all they did was took it out of your email and put it into MySpace and Friendsters, then Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. You still open up Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, and it's this endless barrage of, of unorganized crap. And what a message board does is separates it from root canals, fillings, crowns, practice management, marketing. It's an organized fashion that still continues to grow. A thousand new dentists every month. We pat your resume, your, your bio on me. I need to update that, Ryan. Said 150,000 members. We now have 275,000 members wow. in all 220 countries. So my contribution to dentistry was writing this new social media thing called internet. And when the internet came out, 
It's amazing. It was five C's. It was uh, commerce, like uh, Amazon.com. I didn't want to sell dental supplies. It was content, like blogs and stuff. It was connectivity, so you could connect it to your computers and smartphones and all that stuff. Um, what else was there? There was, um, um, what was the other C? It was commerce, content, connectivity, community. But what was the fifth C? Commerce, content. Oh, commercials, banner ads, all that kind of stuff, which are um, less and less effective every day. And the reason I didn't do commerce is the same reason dentists aren't buying their supplies today on Amazon.com. They said, well, are you going to sell commerce? That will monetize the site. And I said, well, first of all, um, that little sales rep that comes in once a month, that's a dentist only linked to the outside world. I know that rep rep 60,000 SKUs and has never done a root canal, but I can ask her, hey, on the endophile, what is the best endodontist Jason Hales? What is he using? They say, oh, well, he uses the pro taper. And I'll say, well, that cosmetic dentist down the street who's got his fellowship in the ACD, what impression material does he use? And it was the, the connectivity to the community which they didn't want to get rid of. And I saw that on social media that these dentists practice all by themselves. And sometimes when you take a PA and a bite wing or your hygienist asks you for a raise when you can't pay your bills and all these things, they wanted a place. So I started with dentaltown.com. No dentist will ever have to practice solo again. And then we use those hottest threads. We measure it. So many dental magazines, they just print stuff because the editor has a gut feeling that it's good. Well, gut feelings, guts are filled with fecal matter. You have a shitty opinion. What we do on all of our threads, we measure how many comments, views, replies are on this deal. So then we have a computer that says, well, last month, 25,000 unique dentists entered the site. And here's the three most common things they spent the most time on. That is repackaged into the magazine. So when I'm sending out a magazine, I have measured content. I'm like, I might not think this is interesting. Gary might not think it's interesting, but trust me, 25,000 dentists last month, here's the top four things they found the most interesting. So that's why I was in a media company. But I still own a dental office, still love pulling wisdom teeth more than golf. And I just like to help share information. Like you doing this podcast is amazing because when we were little, the only people that created content was ABC, CBS, and NBC. And when the internet came out, a few futuristic geniuses said by, you know, by, by 2030, 90% of everything they'll be watching will be user-generated content. And this is going to be the death of all the big movie shows and all that kind of stuff. And you're already seeing that. You're already seeing that the only people left on cable television are over 50. You already see that for every hour they spend on TV or Netflix, they're spending an hour on uploaded stuff from YouTube and face, you know, self, um, self user generated content. And it's because I want to listen to user generated content for my tribe. I don't want to listen to Hollyweird. Uh, anytime Dennis shows up in a movie in Hollywood, is it good news and flattering or is it Jennifer Anderson in the bad boss? And yeah. she's, you know, it's, it's always bad. So what's replacing radio stations is they got an hour commute to work and they would rather listen to your podcast on the Y Institute um, talking to them than some brand blah stuff that kind of everybody in Albuquerque finds us a little bit mildly interesting, like maybe weather or maybe Trump or maybe sports. But what they really want to do is dig deep yeah. Because they're on their way to a dental office where they spend half their waking hours in this place and they would have focused in. So user generated content is where it's at. And I applaud you uh, for your podcast. I think it's amazing and awesome. And, um, um, and I hope you upload it into uh, dental town because dental town uh, has a quarter million member dentists, 60,000 downloaded the app. They're more likely to be millennials and the podcasters, what they say is they, they put their show on YouTube or iTunes. And it was okay. But then they upload it on to Dentaltown. And then their iTunes and YouTube and Dentaltown views skyrocket. Because this is marketing. And it's free marketing. So you put it up on iTunes or YouTube for free. Put it up on Dentaltown for free. And I also applaud you for doing video. Because most all dental podcasts, most all podcasts are sound only. 
which is iTunes, which you want sound because you're driving. But the two largest search engines are Google and YouTube. And our YouTube channel is up to 6,500 subscribers. And these millennials tell me that they go home on their iPhone, they have Apple TV, they pull up the podcast, they throw it up on their big screen. Um, they can go on, put it on pause if a phone rings or they got to the bathroom or whatever. So I can't believe only 5% of the dental podcasts do video. And I can't believe they put on iTunes where no one might never find it. There's 5 million podcasts on that thing. Uh, so I, I, um, so that's my rant. So yeah, that's a great rant. That's a great story. What I'm hearing, Howard, is that you've taken so many complex and challenging subjects, dentistry, marketing, building your business, having a podcast, having, a, having social media, and you have simplified them down to just a couple of things. You narrow it all down to, okay, these are the five things. These are the three things. These are the couple things you need to know. And to me, that's the power of being able to simplify things for the rest of us. Because for most of us, it's just way too complex. The thought of doing what you've been able to do overwhelms pretty much anybody. But you jump in there and you simplify it down to just those couple of things that we need to know about. And then you tell us about it. And that's, a, that's an amazing talent that you have, I've seen you use over and over. Well, you know... Um... It's very normal for an animal, a mammal, homo sapien, lions, tigers, you're, you're, they're controlling because the only way you're going to survive is to control your environment. So since humans are hardwired to control, they don't want to delegate. So I always tell Dennis, do you think you'll live forever or do you think eventually you'll die? So they all know they're going to die and no one gets off the third rock from the sun alive. Everybody born on this rock is going to die and eventually the rock will spin into the sun and it's over. So if you know you're going to die, well, do you want to just do everything yourself till you die? Or do you want to start delegating now to see how it works? Like the only way I've been able to do all I can is like my, I got a president of my company, Lori. Well, she's been there 20 years. When I started Dentaltown, I hired a programmer, Ken Scott. He's still there 20 years later. My office manager, Don Borneo, she's been there 20 years. The lady doing my finance has been there 20 years. So if you attract and retain the best people, get out of their way, then Howard, one, doesn't do much. But one plus one equals three with my Lori. And three plus three equals nine with my Ken. And nine plus nine equals 18 with my Don. And now I've got these people where, you know, I always tell my staff, I've told them since day one, you know, you probably don't think I'm going to die of a heart attack today because I'm 25. But I could walk across the street to 7-Eleven to buy some gum and be ran over by a Mack truck. So we call it the Mack truck syndrome. So I tell everybody on my team, our customers are our top priority. What happens to my patients when I'm ran over by a Mack truck? So we immediately got associates. I got an associate within four months when we opened. So I'd survive the Mack truck. I said to my programmer, Ken, well, what happens to Dentaltown if you ran over by a Mack truck? Well, I need a backup. So now we have five programmers. When we started a magazine, we monetized it by selling ads. Well, what happens if Mary Lou gets ran over by a Mack truck? So we have, so what I've done is I, uh, you, business, my, my book, Uncomplicated Business, which has 57 five-star reviews on Amazon, Dennis Lovett, is you only manage three things, people, time, and money. And everybody gets it with, with sports. They say, well, um, look at the Cleveland Browns versus the New England Patriots. Did the Cleveland Browns not win a game because they didn't have the right stadium? They had the best-looking uniforms. They had social media, Facebook, Twitter. They did everything right in every other category of the only category that matters is people. They didn't attract and retain the best players and coaches. So if you attract the best people, you can get an F on your uniforms and your stadiums, and no one cares if you're playing on real grass or artificial grass or what your Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn page looks like. What matters is you're winning the games. And what I'm most proud of of what I've done in my 30 years, I've attracted Lori Zalowski, Ken Scott, uh, Nick Avenaeus just celebrated, I think his 15th anniversary. Um, you know, I mean, for on my team, to be there five years is nothing, and to be there 10 years is a start, and to be there 20 years, and I can truly, I feel like I could have always been ran over by a Mack truck, and my 
employees and my customers would have been bothered. And if you have that mindset, which is thinking in abundancy instead of fear and scarcity, and they say, well, the only way you could ever do it right is if I do it. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you die? When Gary Sanchez, when Craig Steichen dies, do you think Channel 10 and Albuquerque should say, dentistry died today? <laughs> Craig Steichen was ran over by a Mack truck. Nobody will ever be able to fix their teeth again. I mean, we're all indispensable. This civilization doesn't stop. It didn't stop when, when Abraham Lincoln got assassinated. It didn't stop when JFK got assassinated. And it sure as hell isn't even going to blink when any dentist dies. Right. So the bottom line is you got to think in hope, growth, and abundancy, not fear and scarcity. So if you focus on the people, attract the best people on your team, and figure out how you retain them. If you can't keep your staff, you're not going to keep your customers. Patience. You're not going to keep them. And, and, then, and then time, dentists don't manage their time well because they don't delegate. They save money on a bonding agent. They don't realize that this bonding agent takes two minutes to set up. And the bonding agent that costs 10 sec- 10% more set up in one minute. They don't, they don't value their time. You see it all the time in, in an operatory. You know, you go watch any dentist do a filling. Five times during the procedure, this is, it has to take off her gloves or mask and go into central sterilization. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Your number one cost in dentistry is a 42% adjustment off the price from you charge $1,000 for a crown, but you sign up for a PPO and you're doing it for 600. So your number one cost is adjusted production from your stated price to your PPO accepted price. Number two is labor 25%. Number three is lab 10%. Number four supply 6%. And you just had your labor get up and walk out of the moon. Why? Well, we only have two slow speeds, and it was in the – well, by nine. I mean, look at Southwest Airlines. Every damn plane is the same because you go to U.S. Air, and they got 727, 737, 747, 757s, Airbuses, L-1011s. The maintenance people have to have parts for 10 different planes, 10 times more training, and U.S. Air had a plane fall out of the sky every year for six years in a row, and no one's ever died on Southwest Airlines, which flies from Phoenix to your town, Albuquerque, in an hour. Why? Because they only have one plane, and so they only have one part. They only have one training. Look in an operatory. Is every operatory a 727? Hell no. I'm in the hygiene room. You're a doctor. You're busy. I find a cavity. I say, hey, Gary, save you a trip. You want me to do it right now? Let's do it right now. What does I just say? Well, you can't do it in my room because we don't have a trituator and we, we, don't have, we don't have like three little trinkets. So we got to get you up, set up another room, move your ass, all this crap. Because you can't have every room be a 727. You know what I did? This used to just, oh my God, this used to piss off myself. I used to have an air horn that you have at sporting events. Yeah. And whenever the assistant left the room, I'd tell the patient, cover your ears. And I'd lean my chair out in the hallway and go, <laughs> until that office manager's in my office. And I say, why did my assistant have to leave the room? Why? Do, when you're getting a bypass, do you want the cardiovascular surgeon, surgical nurse to have to leave the room three times? So when you get everything faster, easier, it becomes higher quality for a lower cost. Why does it take you an hour and a half to do a single unit crown? Why? And Regina Herzlinger, the world's greatest medical economist, the first woman tenured faculty at Harvard University, first woman economist at Harvard University, and, and she has a doctorate in business management. She did a, a study, a landmark study that shows that during a surgery, whoever does it the fastest has the highest quality as measured by the surgery didn't fail at one week, one year, five years. So you know that in dentistry, an oral surgeon pull all four wisdom teeth in 30 minutes. But you got some dentist taking an hour to pull out one tooth. Who do you think did a better job? And endodontist does all of his molars an hour. You're doing an hour and a half. Who do you think did it better? She, she started off with, um, with uh, um, what was it? Not a, uh, is it appendectomy? Or what's a, what's a, it was an abdominal surgery. Yeah, appendectomy. It was append- I think, I think it was an app. It was an appendectomy. No, 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 no. It was a hernia. Okay. The doctors who did the surgery in four minutes did not have a failure. 
At five minutes, it was like a 1% one-year failure rate. By the time you were at 15 minutes, you had a 10% failure rate. Because if you have everything in the room and your staff is trained and everybody knows what they're doing, they just do it. And when, every, and, and when you sit there and ask for something and they got to get up and leave the room, nobody knows what they're doing. So faster, she said, is related to higher quality. Well, here's what it does say. Oh, well, no, you know, he's cutting corners. You know, the reason Wendy's has square patties is because they don't cut any corners. And that's why I spend 40 days and 40 nights to do a filling. Look, 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 look at, here's two doctors doing a crown. One goes in there and numbs with septicane, sets a timer. And in that four minutes, takes a shade, fills out the lab cap, timer goes ding, immediately starts to pack the zero cord and the one cord because you push the gums down and out, you're not going to nick them, you're not going to have to deal with bleeding. And then you sit there and have a burr deal, a burr block. I mean, if you need more than five burrs for a crown prep, you need a psychiatrist and you need to be on medication. And the only five burrs I would need would be on that little round circle. And you take a 57 carbine, take out the interproximals, you do your, you cut your deal. And then when you're done, then me and the assistant make it temporary. We'll take the, 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 the pre-impression. We'll fill it up with acrylic. We'll make it temporary. So I'm sitting here with my loops on. I'm adjusting back to the margin. I can't find my margin. I work out my problems in the temporary. I say, okay, I didn't, I didn't do the margin right. So I go back there, redo the margin, start temporary number two. I'm doing the temporary number two. Margins look great. I'm adjusting the occlusion. I go through. I don't have enough death reduction. When you get a, uh, a reduction coping from the lab. It only means one thing. You took the final impression before you made the temporary. You reverse those two things, you'll never have a reduction coping the rest of your life. So now I got the margin. If you can pick it up in the acrylic, you'll pick it up in the 3M Empergum. And if you got the occlusion, and it's all good, so now I take the 3M SV Empergum impression, go to a hygiene check, come back, put on gloves again, look at it under 3.8 loops. Then I hand it to my assistant. My assistant has total independence. If she looks at it and doesn't think it good, she's not going to talk to me and point out bullshit. If she doesn't like it, she tosses it in the trash can, and I say nothing, and we take it again. And then I'll go do another hygiene check or something. Come back in there. Assist, I think it's good. Assistant says it's good. Glue on the temporary, 30 minutes. Now, what is the guy doing for an hour and a half? He goes in numbs with lidocaine. And then he leaves, takes off his glove, his supply costs 6%, and goes back to his office and calls his stay-at-home wife. Comes back 10 minutes later, preps the tooth, nicks the gums, there's bleeding, then leaves and tells the assistant to pack the cord because he's delegating. Then he comes back 20 minutes later, takes a final impression, and then they come show it to him in his private office. He says it's good. He didn't, the temporary hasn't even been made. And, and this process is an hour and a half. And then when he gets the crown back, there was a reduction coping. So he's taken 90 minutes to do a shitty crown that comes back with a reduction coping. So look at when I got out of school in 1987, I sent my fees to Delta and they paid a percent. They paid 100% of clean exam and x-rays, 80% of uh, fillings, root canals, 50% of crown bridge. I sent them a fee for $1,000. They pay half. Well, they changed that around. They sent me the fees. They paid me about 700 for a crown. So I have a 30% reduction in price. Well, if I do that crown from, an, from 90 minutes, what's, what's, uh, what is um, 70%? Uh, here, I'll do it. What is uh, 90 times 0.7? That means now I have to go at 60 minutes. So when they went from 1,000 to 700, I had to go from 90 minutes to 63 minutes. Well, you know, after you've done a thousand crowns, why can't you go 30% faster? Because you're not thinking about a business and you tell yourself lies like, yeah, well, Gary across the street, he does it twice as fast because he's cutting corners and not quality. Quality is good. Well, you can't find any PhD medical economist named Regina Hertzfeld to agree with you. She'd say no. Um, and you know, in dentistry, the specialists who only do one thing, do it faster, easier, higher quality, uh, they just charge more. So they're, they're doing that wrong. At this point, I don't even know what question I'm answering. So I should turn it back over to you. <laughs> That's classic. So you took it again, you simplified a process that dentists do every day and you broke it down to just a couple of steps and made it more useful. So that people can actually do something with it instead of just talking about how complicated everything is. 
you just took it and simplified it down to either here's the couple things you need to do to make it quicker, faster, better, and get on with it. Right? Let's go. We don't need to we don't need to talk about this anymore. Let's just go do it. And so I, I have another question for you, Howard. You have always when you came onto the scene, you were you beat to your own drum, right? You do things the way you do it. You don't you don't um, I guess my question for you is going to be, how important is it for a dentist to know who they are uh, to build the practice around who they are versus just try to model everybody else? Well, I say business in three words is supply and demand. And the one thing that I disagree with the millennials, they're always trying to uh, um, have the perfect job. Well, you know, humans are two million years old. And they say 100 billion humans have come and died. And there's only 7.5 billion humans alive today. So basically, 96.5% of all the humans are already dead. And you're living, I mean, 100 billion already dead. And the ones alive today is only 6.5% of the herd. Well, the last 2 million years, how many of those humans had a great life? How many of them spent the whole winter in a cave, frozen, eating mastodon shit, trying to wait till spring came? And so if you go to Key Biscayne, Florida, you can have a lifestyle of the rich and famous practice in Beverly Hills and Key Biscayne or in downtown Manhattan. But, you know, when you go back to Parsons, Kansas, if no one drives a Mercedes Benz, then why are you listening to people who treat movie stars in Hollywood? And if everybody in Parsons, Kansas drives a Chevy or a Ford, why did you open up a Mercedes-Benz dealership? So I would say if you want to make Mercedes-Benz, go to where people buy Mercedes-Benz. But you know what? Everybody needs a doctor. I am completely non-judgmental. I don't care if you smoke a pack a day, you're an alcoholic, and you uh, don't brush or floss your teeth. You don't need condescending. You need a dentist. Everybody needs a doctor of dentistry, of dermatology, what, whatever it is. And like when people come in and they say, I don't want to take any x-rays. Well, I could be some weird freak and say, get out of my office. You're an asshole. People are complicated. I want to have a relationship. You know why I numb up the patient and don't leave? Not just for faster, easier, higher quality. That's my time to chair side, to bond. So Gary, were you born in Albuquerque? Are you married? Do you have a dog, kid, cat, car? I want a relationship because every time I see you and the, every year that you keep with me, you're gonna, we're going to build a trust relationship and I'm going to be able to try to impart some of my oral health values. Like Gary, you know, you really shouldn't chew tobacco. You know, you really should. I mean, right now, the big Hall of Famer quarterback, Jim Kelly, is dying of oral cancer. Um, you know, let's get your kids an HPV vaccine. He didn't smoke. He didn't chew tobacco. When we were little, when I was, got out of dental kindergarten in 1987, they said you had to drink and smoke, which I assume only Russians and Irish people got oral cancer. And now we find out that there's viruses associated with this stuff, and we have a vaccine. And now we have people that are, are losing trust in their institutions, are losing trust in their politicians, and the FBI, and all these institutions are all jaded. Um, I saw that with water fluoridation. I would show people studies for the Centers for Disease Control, and they would take them out of my hand, throw them on the floor, and say, those are all paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. And I didn't argue. They said, no, you're an idiot. They're not. They're not. I actually know that guy. I know that dentist. I had dinner with that. I didn't want to, I would want to observe what they were saying. And what a quarter of the people were saying on the water fluoridation campaign I worked on in 89 and a couple of years ago, they, they don't believe the CDC and they don't believe their dentist. They look at me and say, you know why you want fluoride in the water? Because it makes the teeth weaker and then they'll need crowns and root canals. Like, wow, you just called me a liar. You don't trust me. So you want to build trust. How do you build trust in a dental office when you sell the invisible, when you have staff turnover? I know when I buy a bottled water, what I'm buying. I know when I bought an iPhone, what the hell it is. But when you tell me when my engine light comes on and you tell me I need a whole new transmission, it's like, dude, every time I come in here, there's a different a mechanic. Every time I call, uh, every time I come into your dental office, it's a different hygienist. You can't sell the invisible and have staff turnover. You need to build a relationship. You need to be trust. And back to that Cleveland Browns. These dentists try to fix all their problems with everything the Cleveland Browns got right. They got a great location, Cleveland, the only one in town, a monopoly. They got the great stadium, their uniforms. I think Cleveland Brown uniforms are the coolest looking uniforms in the whole league. Um, they did everything right. 
They lost every single game. And you'll see the Fortune 500, they're not advertising on Southwest Airlines. They're moving to the user experience. They're, and, and what did the dentist say? Well, the new, the new customer experience. The new customer experience, dude, look, you went to Parsons, Kansas 20, 40 years ago. You were 25. You went to a town of 5,000. You got 25 new patients a month, every month, and now you're 65. If a hygienist worked 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, that's only, she only works 2,000 hours a year. She can only see 1,000 people twice. At 25 new patients, you would have added another hygienist every three years. And 40 years later, you still have one hygienist, which means you have a cup of coffee, and you've been pouring coffee into it for 40 years. Well, have you ever looked down on the floor? You're standing in coffee up to your ankles. And then you talk about the new patient experience. Why don't you do all patient experience? Why don't we get long-term staff that greet them when they come in and make them feel special and not talk down to them and not be condescending and build a relationship? If you can't keep your staff, you can't keep your patients. And, I don't, and you're not going to build your practice by putting out a Facebook post every 15 minutes. You're not going to build your practice until you can attract and retain the best employees and the longer you keep them. In fact, if I died tomorrow, they'd call up. The, the, they've been seeing my hygiene, my, my hygiene for 10 years. You think they're going to say, well, Howard, I'm, I'm out of here. No. Who do they see? They're hygienists. They have relationship. It's a rela- Humans are humans are humans. They're extremely complicated. I'm convinced at 55 years of age that I'm probably the only normal human on the entire planet. Um, everyone else is abnormal. And when you look at morality, isn't it funny how morality changes through the years, changes through times? I, 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 have a, I saw a picture today of the, this lady being arrested in Los Angeles on the beach for wearing her bathing suit. It was a one-piece. And she was arrested and taken to jail. I went to the Human Rights Museum, and where was it, Edmonton, Winnipeg? Winnipeg, Manitoba, and you knew the, the, the big ones. You knew the, the human rights atrocities of the American Indian, the Holocaust, the slavery, the Civil War. You, you knew all those, but there were so many little ones. You're like, are you kidding me? There was this one girl who every year would run the Boston Marathon, and these six big old fat Irish cops chasing her down, body tackling her and arresting her because it was men only. And she said, my God, I'll see you next year, you fat Irish cops. And she'd do it again. And finally, the town got tired of seeing this woman chased down and body slammed. And the judge got tired of her. Finally, people started thinking, why do you need a wiener to run in the Boston Marathon? I mean, you know, they don't put a tennis shoe on the end of it. They don't use it as a cane. Why, why do you need? And, and so morality is a moving target. You know, it really does change throughout the years. But these humans are complex, and they want to be listened to, and they want to be understood. And a lot of it's mechanics, like like um, when someone tells you something, if you don't repeat it, they don't think you listen to it. So if someone says to a doctor, well, this tooth, uh, it says it's hot and cold. And then he goes, did, did it wake you up at night? She thinks, well, you didn't even hear what I just said. I just says, you said, so it's sensitive to hot and cold. And you say something like, like, like what do you drink that's, what, what do you what do you put in your mouth that's hot or cold to make it hurt? Well, when I drink coffee or, 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 what, or if they're Irish, you say, when I put uh, gin in my coffee uh, or, you know, or whatever. I mean, just little bitty things, but it all comes down to you're selling the invisible. If they don't think you're in, if they don't trust you, they're gone. And here's some dirty little things that no one will talk about in America. Look at women. If a hundred women engine light comes on and goes to the auto dealership and they tell her they need some, what percent of women wonder, do you really need that? Or is he trying to sell me something? When women go see on the sign, $20 oil change. So she pulls in, she's got 20 bucks, she wants oil change and a man walks out and says, well, you know, we just looked at your air filter and we think we should flush your transmission lines. When, when, she, when her air conditioner goes out, and she calls the biggest air conditioner that advertises on TV, and they come out and they say, well, you know what? We really can't fix your air conditioner. You need a brand new air conditioner. It's $5,000. What percent of them women are saying, I bet if my Uncle Harry fixed air conditioners, he'd probably fix it with duct tape and a shot of Freon. I don't trust you. 
And then these dentists are mostly males from my generation. Now the dental school classes are half female, but that's not going to make half the dentist females for another 25, 30, 40, 50 years because the pipe has already been out. People don't trust their dentist. They don't trust their auto mechanic. When a woman goes to a dealership, there's even proof for economists that they sell the cars for a higher price to women than men. Because the men probably thinks that you looked it up and you know the you know you went to cars.com. They 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 know they 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 know not to trust. In fact, in women, what percent of we just looked at what percent of women are actually killed by their lover? If a woman is murdered, 95% of the time it's her lover. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't someone just drove by and shot her or shot her and stole her purse. It wasn't it, it was it was her own lover. So there's no trust from women to men, period. That's why you saw gynecology turn all into male, uh, from men to all women. There's not three women in Albuquerque who want a man for a gynecologist. Because what do they used to tell women in the 50s and 60s? Oh, you're being hysterical. Well, what does hysterical mean? That's a Greek word for um, hysteros, uterus. They're just saying, oh, you got a uterus, you're crazy, you're being hysterical. That's why you need a hysterectomy. And, and so now they all go to women. I'm seeing it before my eyes in pediatric dentists. Who makes 95% of all the pediatric dental appointments? Mom, not dad. And she doesn't trust dad. So what does she do? You go in these pediatric dental residencies, they're all girls. And then I've seen it in so many towns where the man's been there for 30 years and thinks he's all that in a bag of chip. And a little girl walks straight out of pediatric dentistry, asks for a job there. He says no. Sets up across the street and steals 80% of his practice over the next year or two. Why? Because you're not addressing the trust. So what do male dentists do? They tell the hygienist, well, you're not allowed to diagnose and read x-ray, so you don't say nothing until I get there. Oh, well, they trust the hygienist. They don't trust you. And the dog says, well, it's illegal and against law. And I say, well, how many hygienists are serving in prison today for reading a damn x-ray? When my dental assistant takes an emergency uh, patient walks in, I don't want to pee in a bite wing. I, want to die. I don't want to diagnose a tree. I want to diagnose force. We take an FMX. And she takes every picture. She says, oh, see that? that? That's the cavity. And see that little white filling there? See, when the x-ray goes all the way through, it's black. See, that's hollow. That's black cavity. But see, this metal, it absorbed the x-ray, so it's white. And look at that. Look at that cavity. It's like this close to your nerve. Right now, it's a $250 filling. But if you let that go into your nerve, it's a $2,000 root canal. In a they do that the whole way through. That patient will ask and feel safe to the assistant. Well, what about blah, 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 blah? The hygienist in there for an hour, but the control freak male dentist won't let the hygiene diagnose and treatment plan. You won't let your hygienist diagnose and treatment plan when right now a car just drove by your dental office with three pounds of cocaine in his trunk and you're afraid to let a hygienist diagnose an x-ray? I mean, it's a control freak because I'm not going to go. If the hygienist said it needs a root canal and I look at it and think it needs an extraction, I'm not going to go in there and do a root canal on a tooth that needs extracted. But the bottom line is, do you think that hygienist has been there 10 years that we disagree ever? And if you can't convince your dental assistant after a year or two, your diagnosing and treatment plan, how are you going to convince the patient? <laughs> and I still go into dental office where the hygienist will say, and, and how many hygienists tell me this on hygiene down? Well, the doctor would re recommend you to redo this crown because that open margin. But then the next patient I have, I'm doing a cleaning on his crown, and it has a bigger open margin. So I go back there and say, well, Dr. Gary Sanchez, uh, the, the first patient, you said to redo the crown because that open margin. And this patient, you did the crown on 19, and it's more open. Oh, it's fine. We'll just watch it. <laughs> so now she has no trust in you. Another red flag is that your team doesn't let you fix their teeth. They don't trust you. And they're selling invisible. And while you're talking to the patient, you don't even see that the patient's seeing your assistant behind you rolling your eyes or when they leave the room that they say to the highest, really, do I need 10 cavities? And she says, like, whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow, wow. You know, so, I mean, it's all, you know, I say if you get an A on attracting the best players and the coaches, which is the New England Patriots, you're going to win the Super Bowl five times. And if you get an A on all your location and advertising and supplies and, and all everything else, but you get a C in people, you're going to have an average practice. Mm. You would have above average practice. It only correlates to above average people. 
and above average people, and you want to get a measurement on that, it's employee turnover. The greatest companies in their segment, like you go into the airline industries, who has the most sales, the most revenue, they have the longest lasting employees measured by month. We measure all of our employees. We know our average monthly employee. We measure that stuff. You can't sell the invisible. Now I could sell, I could sell bottled water with a different person every day. I could hire the guy holding the street sign because I know what bottled water is. But I don't know what my engine light is. I don't know that I have four cavities. The number one reason people come into our office and left to last dentist is they just wanted cleaning and he said they needed a, a deep cleaning. Well, they didn't believe you. Why do they not believe you? Was it your presentation? Did you not have x-rays, internal cameras, digital x-rays printed out? Were you the only one that said it and you're the one who pulled up in a Mercedes and live in the big house on the hill? As opposed to your dental assistant only makes 20 bucks an hour and drove a Ford Pinto to work. They trust your assistant. Your assistant and receptionist is one of them. The doctor who's in the country club who drove a Beamer is, is selling you something. So, you know, I, I have learned more insights to life studying people, anthropology, sociology, psychology, and the history of people. And I haven't learned shit from all the hours I spent studying algebra, calculus, trig, physics. I mean, the fact that every dentist in Albuquerque knows the difference between geometry and trig and spent a thousand hours memorizing this stuff has helped me nothing. But every hour I spent learning psychology. In fact, a lot of dentists that are men, they hate uh, chick flicks. And when you go have to watch a chick flicks because you got a date, you got to take your lover and she wants to see the stupid chick flicks, that's a bad attitude because that's the part you're missing. Why? What's going on? Why is her feelings hurt? What did he say? You know, you could probably build your practice a hundred times more watching chick flicks than you ever would going back and brushing up on geometry, calculus, and fig, trig. And I still don't care that 23 ATP come out of a glucose molecule on the Krebs cycle. Almost everything I learned in dental school, uh, I'd say 80% of it I have not needed to be a dentist. <laughs> so back to my question, which was um, how important is it for a dentist to know themselves to build and market and create their practice. What do you think about that? Is it important for them to know who they are? Absolutely. I, I tell people, I don't care if you lie to me. I tell my boys, I don't care if you lie to me. I just don't ever want you to lie to yourself. If you are trying to be something you're not, if you're doing something, I mean, some dentists tell me, they've told me um, so many times, you know, I went to a Medicare practice because those are my homies. I grew up with a single mother in a trailer. I don't want to be a cosmetic dentist in Scottsdale. I mean, it's not my deal. When I came out here, I found two perfect locations. One was in North Scottsdale and one was in Phoenix. I'm from Kansas. I was born in a barn. I'm a hillbilly. I'm not going to go. I'm never, I'll never forget. I was at the Scottsdale study club. I was talking to a dentist and I said, well, which one's Dr. Sonzo? He goes, the guy in the somebody something shoes. I'm like, dude, you, you know the brand of the shoes he's wearing? In Kansas, you get your ass kicked for that. I mean, I mean, I, 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 mean, I have more money than any dentist I know, and my Lexus is 2004 with 150,000 miles. I don't have a Rolex watch. I'm not wearing a gold chain. In fact, I'm at home. I don't even have socks or underwear on. I mean, I, you know, be true to yourself. Yeah. Uh, if, if you feel best, if you're a Navajo Indian and you want to go to Tuba City and work on the reservation, that's your tribe. That's your people. Don't go to Scottsdale and try to be a cosmetic dentist because you're competing with the Panky Institute and the Spear Institute and Coase and Ross Nash. And I, that's not you. Be true to yourself. Yeah, that's what I've noticed about you from day one. You came onto the scene and you were just you and take me or leave me. This is what I'm going to tell you and this is what I'm going to say. And if you don't like it, too bad. You know what I'm most proud of, of all my accomplishments professionally? 50% of every place I've ever lectured said, we will never have you back. And I'll say, really, what happened? Well, Mrs. Cranston said that you said shit 14 times. And it's like, well, you know, go to our rated movie. There's nudity, the F word. Did I get naked? Did I say the F What I said fart at a dental convention? You know, I mean, I mean, I, be true to yourself. Yeah. And, and, you know, and a good movie that um, was one of my inspirations was, remember the Howard Stern movie, um, what was his, the movie? 
Howard Stern, Private Parts. Have you ever watched that movie? I haven't. I'll have to see it. He knew his audience. Who listens to the radio all day long? Everyone working outside, construction, plumbing, electricians. He knew they liked jokes. They liked dirty jokes. They liked all that stuff. Every station he went to, he got fired. And he tells his wife, no, we're staying true to ourselves. I know they love it. When I walk around town, they say, you have the funniest show on the earth. The only people fired me are the people wearing ties that own the radio stations. Finally, after he got fired 10 times for 10 years and no one would hire him, he got a gig in New York. And, these, and the two owners, they didn't like him at all. They didn't like him personally. They didn't like anything he said. And they, but they kept looking at the numbers. They said, my God, we have the biggest radio station in Manhattan. This guy's only been here two weeks. Don't like him. Don't like his hair. Don't like his foul mouth. Don't like it. But Howard Stern is Howard Stern. Another one is Rush Limbaugh. Mm -hmm. Rush Limbaugh's a freak, a conspiracy theorist. He's nuts. I mean, I mean, and but what does he do? He believes that shit. And he sits on there and rants all day long. And Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh are the two biggest radio personalities. And then here's what I noticed about Dennis lecturing when I was getting my FAGD and my MAGD, my diplomat in. I go to their lecture. And I was like, I love dentistry as much as anybody. And I'm falling asleep. I'm bored. I don't even want to come back after lunch. And then afterwards, that night, we all go out to dinner. And the wine bottles start popping. And they start drinking. Or... It was like a, we, we go fishing, and we're sitting in a bass boat. And then that speaker, when his suit and tie's off, and he has six beers down, funniest guy, teaching me everything I know, putting it in simple terms. And I'd always say, why didn't you talk like that at the dental meeting? Oh, my God. I would have offended half the room. Half, you know, blah, blah. I tell people when they go out there and they lecture, they should lecture. They should think of them. I am sitting in a bar. I've had three shots of fireball and I'm out on a bass boat and I'm fishing with six drunk dentists in a boat. Talk to them like you would if you were at a poker game in your garage. Don't talk. They always lecture like they're in church. You know, I, my mom and dad made us go to mass every single day from birth until I left home at 17. So 17 days times uh, 365. I think I went to church like 6,000 times. So I never went to church again because I figured, you know, I had to go to church once a week. So if you went, took uh, 6,000 times uh, seven, I'd have to live to be like 125 until I had to go back to my once a week again. And the bottom line is no one ever said church was fun. Now, 50 years later, what's the only church that I have fun enjoying? Turn on Joel Osteen. Yeah. That's fun. That applies to my life. I've never watched him for 30 minutes and didn't think of something I could apply to my relationship with my boys, my staff, my patients, my neighbor. But the, but the Catholic Church, the first 10 years, is all in Latin. I didn't even know what, he, what the hell they were saying. And then when they switched from Latin to English, my mom thought the whole church was going to go to hell. And then it was just the same prayers. Oh, It was like it just ritual. And then the sermon, that was the part they always cut out. And now where has church gone to? They got rid of all the rituals. They got rid of all the Latin. They got, I mean, look at a rosary. You say a prayer and then you repeat it 50 times. How meaningful is that to a 10 year old kid? But Joel Osteen, I don't care who's in the room. Everybody learns some. I don't even care if you're atheist, agnostic, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist. He just told you something that applied. That's how you should lecture. Be, so what, what I'm trying to say is just be true to yourself. You only get to live once. You, you weren't born to be, what your mother wanted you to be or what the president of the ADA wanted you to be or what Delta Dental wanted you to be. I mean, you're, you're born you and you're always trying to be someone else. I mean, just be you. Don't be unique. Be you. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I talk to people about as well. When we talk about discovering your why, that's the first step in figuring out how to be you. you like you were saying, be you. But for a lot of people, they're like, well, what does that mean? How, how do I be me? What am I? Who am I? How do I come up with that? And when I help people discover their why, that's what helps them to move in the direction of, okay, who am I? Now I know. Now I just got to be the person that I've always been. You know, transformation is not about you trying to be somebody else. Transformation is you discovering you and then just being you. That's when you find success. How much of your success do you feel is, a re is related to you just being you? Me just being me. I was born in a most conservative Catholic family. 
Walked away from all that. I was born in a diehard Republican family. Walked away from that. Born in Wichita, Kansas. Walked away from the whole state. I mean, I have virtually walked away from, you know, most people, if you, t- if I talk to you five minutes, I already know where you're born. And you say you're a Hindu and like curry. Well, that wasn't a free choice. Like my oldest is, that's a nun. I say, well, if you'd been born in Saudi Arabia, you'd be Muslim. And then she's like, no, I wouldn't. And I said, well, you're born in India, you'd be Hindu. No, I wouldn't. I mean, most people are born into their language, their religion, their thoughts, their culture. And, and they just drink all this purple Kool-Aid and then they're trapped the rest of their life. And I say, I don't care where I'm born. I mean, I was born in Kansas, but I like Italian food. I like Greek food. Um, I'm, I, you know, I was, you know, I mean, I've just always been true to myself. And I think that the sign of intelligence is to entertain a thought and reject it. And most people are fed their wisdom, swallowed a hook, line, and singer, and won't even question it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, I, I've seen this with um, um, all, all kinds of people and issues. So, just be true to yourself. If, it does, if it's not good for you, but it's good for everybody around you, well, then it's, it's still not good for you. Don't yeah. ever be anything you're not. Don't ever, don't ever do something for money. You know, look at prostitutes. 99% of them are drug addicts. You know why? They do things they don't want to do for money all day long. I'm not going to build a successful cosmetic practice for money when that's not what I want to do. You start doing things for money that you don't want to do, it'll lead to disease, depression, alcoholism, drug addiction, suicide. You know, I mean, I would rather work at the IHOP and be totally happy than have a job on Wall Street being totally miserable. Wow. You know, I remember when I first got into practice, uh, you know, I looked so young and I was in with my dad who was in his 60s and here I am in my mid-20s and I looked like I was 15 years old and I really felt like I had to be in this box of being a dentist. I had to look a certain way, I had to talk a certain way, I had to, couldn't say I don't know to anything, I had to know the answer to every question. And I remember how stifling that was in trying to just be myself because I had to try to fit into what I thought a dentist was supposed to be. And I don't think you have probably ever felt that, but maybe you could relate to how that might hold people back from being who they were really meant to be. Hey, my dad was so upset that I wouldn't drop out of Bishop Carroll High School and go to, I think he wanted me to go, I, it was Abilene, Kansas, and start my first one and told me that this dental plan was so stupid because by the time I got to dental school, I'd already be a millionaire. And some of the most miserable dentists I've ever met in my life, one of the things many of them have in common is her dad was a dentist and they felt like they had to be a dentist. And his dad always say, well, you know, well, you'll take over the practice. And rah, rah. and they went down their father's route. I saw it in Kansas becoming wheat farmers. You know, well, why are you a wheat farmer? Well, you know, it's fourth generation. They wanted to keep the farm in the family. And I was the only one with the wiener. My three sisters were all set free. But since I was born with the wiener, I had to be a wheat farmer. But I but if I, you know, but if I'd have been an orphan and grew up in an orphanage, I would have done this or that or 19 other things. Don't live your life for someone else. And I, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people think, oh, Howard must have thick skin. It's not that I have thick skin and don't have feelings or anything. I just don't value other people's thoughts enough to make, for me to think on it because you don't know me. You don't know my journey. This is what I do. I'm happy. My kids are happy. I mean, I'm doing great. So if you're offended at your dental society because I said fart and shit and a, and a, and a dirty joke, well, then, then, don't, then cancel Netflix. Cancel HBO. Live in a bubble. Just go, go live in a bubble and don't come out. I mean, I'm happy. I'm having fun. And probably the most proudest thing I am at 55 is I've never done anything I didn't want to do. I've never done something for money. I've had fun. I wake up every day. I want to play. I love what I do. And when I quit loving it, I stop doing it. Wow. Well, Howard, we could go on and on and on. I know we've already gone over an hour. and I, I Have just, we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I could just keep asking you questions because I love – I got – Three pages of notes here just from what you've talked to me about, and it's been fascinating. I love it. Well, next time I'm in Albuquerque, uh, Craig Steigen always picks me up at the airport. Why don't you and Craig, and we'll all go. What's that What's that Mexican restaurant Craig always takes to? They have the sopapillas. El Pinto. Is it El Pinto? Is it El Pinto or Sadie's? 
Sadie's. Sadie's, Sadie's, yes. He always takes me to Sadie's. Next time in Albuquerque, can't wait to go to Sadie's with you. And if you're ever coming to Phoenix, I'll take you to Mikayo's. I'm going to be there next week, by the way. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hook up. Let's hook up. And here's kind of what I learned from you. Here's my summary of what I heard from you today. A couple things were, well, the first thing was, you got to attract the best people. Doesn't matter if you have the best office and the best everything else, you got to have the best people around you. Number one, you got to start going to chick flicks with your wife because that's the missing part, especially if you're a male. Number three, faster is usually better. Uh, number, number four, uh, you, you love that 50% don't want you back because that mean you, means you offended the right people. And the last and biggest thing is be true to yourself. Absolutely. How's that sound? It sounds awesome. And again, Gary, it was an honor to be a guest on your show. Thanks, Howard. I appreciate you being here. And we're going to post this on Dental Town as well as, as iTunes. So thanks for all letting right, me buddy. do that. Thank you for all that you do for dentistry.